0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tales, episode 35 today. Today I'm joined by Mr. Jared Norris. If you don't know who he is, you probably are more familiar with his uh bait building Instagram handle, Mr. Chocolate Swim So we're gonna pick Jared's mind tonight. Uh it is uh bass, bass and buzz. So uh I guess really starting it off, Jared, what are you drinking tonight? What do you have by your side?
1: Hey, how y'all doing? I have a um I have a couple beers with me. I'm not traditionally a drinker but um tonight i wanted to have one with you so i got um i got a couple of beta brews with me which is a local brew house here in south louisiana and um they make a bunch of kind of wacky different beers so uh, there's one called andy gator and and it's um (laughs) whenever i do drink a few beers this is usually it because it's a it's a high alcohol content and i don't like to drink too much of them so i can have a few and still get a a nice little buzz you know
0: yeah, exactly. Not wake up in the morning feeling like you. Exactly. I drink like, like 30 of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking as most people probably guessed a twisted tea because Oh, a twisted tea half and half because they didn't have the regular twisted teas. And also, uh, I, like I said, I I'm, I'm probably done drinking liquor for a while. Maybe at the gathering I'll have some, but it's probably, probably just beer from here on out for a while. <laughs> but, uh, Getting right into it, Jared. How how did you get acquainted with this uh crazy thing called fishing and then what we'll kind of build up to to where we are today when we get to there? Sure. Um I
1: think my story is very similar to to everybody's story. Um my my grandfather was was really really big into fishing. Um he passed away when I was in high school, but um he was like extremely into fishing. I, I want to say um he was fishing literally the the day before he passed away, but my father was also into fishing, so as a kid i would um, I would go with him literally every single time he went um but my my dad was into uh white perch fishing um and white perch here in South Louisiana is what we call uh crappie or
0: soacco okay so um, I, I have white perch here is totally different than crappie. So I had like what we have locally, which is like, uh, like those striped. I don't even know. Exactly. Like hybrids kind of that sort of thing, but crappie. Okay. That makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we've always called perch. We, we we call it perch shark. And to us, perch is, is bluegill and, and, uh, red ears and, you know, and, and I know perch in the North is a, a completely different species. So this is something um, mainly through the, the swim Bay community that, that I've, I've learned, you know, um, when, when you don't travel north a lot or you don't fish those type of fisheries, like even, um, rainbow trout, you know, that's something that's completely foreign to me. So this is really, um, through the past couple of years, being in the communities it has really taught me a lot, you know. But, um,
0: yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. Um, like perch here, like if you go, you go fish with like a worm or bobber or even ice fish, dude, like you can't keep perch off your line. And to like talk to like guys like you and Carlton and Bo and, and like you guys south, it's, uh, to hear some of the species you guys don't have, it's like, what the hell? Like that's so, so bizarre.
1: Exactly. But, but if you're not used to, you know, traveling and, and, and going around the country, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know, you know, but, um, but yeah, um, but my, my dad, like I said, was big into to white perch fishing and naturally um, bass like to hang out in the same traditional areas. Um, you big gnarly cypress trees down here, um, you grass flats, you big lay downs. And so through, um, through crappie fishing with him, we would naturally catch uh, bass here and there. And, and I just kind of. Um, started leaning towards bass even at a really young age and I can remember um, being a little kid like five six seven and I would hook up with a you know two or three pound bass and wind up losing it you know we're we're fishing with little uh, crappie gear and it was like detrimental to me bro like I would have these (laughs) meltdowns like I'm like throwing stuff and crying even at a little kid so I can remember being that passionate about bass fishing, even even as a little kid, you know?
0: That's awesome. Were you guys fishing, like, I mean, when I think Louisiana crappie fishing this, I mean, this may be a stereotypical thing, but I'm thinking the 16-foot the Mr. Crappie Poles with the neon green, like, four-pound mono or the trolling setup where it's, like, 16 rods set up and, like, the spider troll. Like, is that what you guys were doing? Or are you guys, like, oh, like vertical jigging with normal gear?
1: Yeah, that's funny you brought that up because as I as I got into tournament fishing at an older age, I would travel to places like um um like like Ross Barnett and um different lakes in Alabama and such and I would see these guys spider rigging it, but that was completely foreign to us. We were traditional live shiners with a cork or um or a little jig and, and we would single pole cast with a cork, you know, or 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 kind of jig on a treetop or something like that. It was never spider rigging kind of trolling type deal.
0: Okay, see, like that's that's completely foreign to to me too. As far as like crappie fishing here, what my dad and I always used to do is there's this lake and it has two points, and literally all we would do is we'd both have a six foot six like medium rod, casting rod or uh, spinning rod, and we just would troll underspins underspins with like bobby garland minnow like kicktails exactly yeah you know, hey, dude my, we used to catch so many my dad is
1: still to this day a diehard Zebco fan like
0: he rocks the Zebco till
1: the day he dies like and we could you know get whatever we wanted at this point but that that's his uh his wrong choice for sure
0: yeah dude it's like uh i mean it, it's no different from today like guys are like diehard team shimano or team Iowa or blues or whatever and it's just it's just different because it's 20 years, 30 years down the road and we have we have a little bit different stuff than they did back then but it's literally the same exact thing. Sure. So uh-huh. what point what point in time did you kind of uh maybe maybe when you and your dad and grandpa and everybody was out fishing what point in time did you guys start to or what what point in time did you start to kind of like like oh, why don't why don't I cast for bass? Like why don't I buy like this crankbait or something?
1: Uh-huh. I think it was at, I mean, a little bit older than that five, six age, maybe um, 10, 11, somewhere around there. But it, it was it was when um, I started making that transition to wanting to try to catch the bass and, instead of um, the the white perch. And I can remember, um, like, trolling to a different uh, cypress tree or something like that, and, and I would have this little spinner bait um, I was in my dad's tackle box i remember casting it you know not, not truly knowing what i'm doing and and catching something and i, I think that kind of like sparked the, the interest into you know the cast and retrieve kind of switching up lures and, and and figuring out how to target bass instead of um you know jigging for for perch and stuff
0: yeah was there like did you have any prior knowledge at all or did you just kind of understand how fish kind of had a loose idea how fish related to stuff or i mean like did you were you ever in a library and saw like a bassmaster magazine at the time and you're like oh like what is this and then you kind of fall down the rabbit hole i guess or was it more just self-taught everything
1: i think it was more um self-taught man i w- i wasn't the kid that woke up every morning and watched bassmaster like you hear a lot um but but like i said my my Father and grandfather were such big fishermen that it's natural that they learn, even if they're not targeting bass, that they kind of learn, um, you know, the the behavior of those fish uh, throughout the year. So I think it was you know them kind of teaching me little things here and there, and at least the basics of of bass lures, and um, you know,
0: it just progressed naturally. when you were going out and catching these fish, were were. Um were you keeping these fish or were you throwing them back or was it just so, kind of like crappie fish and keeping, keeping whatever? Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, we would catch and keep some of the smaller bass, but I was all, always a huge advocate for releasing the larger bass. And, and to this day, my dad is, is, um, he's the same way as I am now. He he likes to release larger ones and and, and, and keep the smaller ones to cook up. He, he loves fried bass and, and white perch, but at that time, when I was a kid, like this was a huge no-no. Like you like catching this big bass and you just gonna let it go. You know, this was like, <laughs> a, like a bad juju for him. But it, right, I think he could see how passionate I was about you know letting this thing like like I, I I bested it and and I'm gonna let it go and try to catch it next time. And I think he just kind of, um, you know, was excited that I was that excited about it
0: was there a stigma like, uh, here, here, it's like, um, those guys who are, who are super big, uh, like legitimate yellow perch fishermen and stuff like out on Lake St. Clair, if they catch a muskie, like you can look up videos on YouTube and these guys club muskie and throw them back that they catch while perch or walleye fishing. And it's, it's kind of the thought of, oh, that's a shit fish. That's, that's eating my fish that I'm targeting. Is that kind of how it was growing up or so, was it, was it a little bit different down there? So,
1: um, it's kind of funny you bring that up um so down here to to a lot of people that's what the gar is and the traditional gar oh. we have we have alligator gar as well that's what we would consider um the the nuisance fish or, or the or the aggravating fish and um even though we weren't so much into uh, you know like Clubbing fish or anything like that, but that was definitely the the nuisance fish that that nobody wanted around, or or they would leave in their boat just to kind of get it away from them. But right, yeah, um, but yeah, it was the gar for sure.
0: Yeah, I figured it's like um there's always a fish that people absolutely despise because it's it's eating the bass fry or it's it's eating my crappie or perch or whatever. And I figured you guys, I figured uh, honestly, I I wouldn't have guessed that it was going to be gar. I I totally assumed it was gonna be bass, but or gar makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, we get some, we get some giant alligator gar down here. I'm talking about like blow your mind, huge alligator gar. Um, it's 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 pretty crazy.
0: So I grew up. Um, I was born in Michigan, and I we moved down to Alabama when I was super young, and so I lived in Alabama for like eight or nine years, and. My grandma lives in uh, Foley Gulf Shores area down down there. Okay. Yeah. And um, I grew I she that like yeah yeah. So the house that we lived at was literally like, dude, I don't know, like 500 yards from like a little creek. And I remember my dad and I going fishing like at night. My dad was super big into fishing, and he'd catch these like three foot gar. And I was like, oh my, and like, dude, this creek is not big at all. It's super sandy, super shallow. And I just remember as a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna catch one so bad. And then I finally we finally went on spring break like my freshman year of high school so like six or seven years ago and i remember i caught one of these gar dude and i was so excited because we don't really we have them here but they're like like literally like pencil gar like they did they don't get very fat they just get like little needle long. fish yeah yep. Yeah. and like the one i caught down there i don't know if it was like a regular gar or alligator gar or whatever but this thing was like softball softball thick all the way across like a like a sausage tube of gar like it was so crazy
1: yeah man and and believe it or not
0: if if you have somebody
1: that's familiar with preparing gar it's it's honestly pretty good you you gotta know what you're doing with it it's not something you're just gonna fillet and you know uh fry up you know or throw it on the grill or something but but there's a lot of people that that know how to treat a gar and, and it can be really good
0: yeah, I, I, dude, I know a bunch of people like on the East Coast and stuff. I don't know. Do you guys in the South have snakehead? Is that a thing you guys have?
1: We, no, we don't have snakehead. You have but, dogfish um, or bowfin. We have um some chain pickerel, man. And that's something that's oh. that's somewhat new for, for the area, you know, in the last couple decades. But, but yeah, um, no snakeheads and nothing like that. But, but we do have some chain pickerel.
0: <laughs> oh, because I was going to say, um, snakehead is like the same exact thing as gar. Like, I know a lot of guys who, who go snakehead fish because it's so good. And I've never had it, but it's like, like the stigma, like this is a trash fish. Like I'm not going to eat it. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Like the first time I heard of somebody ever eating a snakehead, we don't have snakehead, but I know like the reputation they carry. And, uh, some of my buddies yeah. had some, and I was like, are you guys serious? They're like, Oh my gosh, it is so good. Like the meat is so white. It's like, they're freaking good. And I'm like, huh, I I want to try it, but I'll have to be out there and catch one or have somebody cook me up some when I'm out there sometime to be able to say for myself.
1: Yeah. I, I think snakeheads are, are extremely invasive. You know, I don't think that's yeah, a, yep. a native fish at
0: all. Which that's like, when you think invasive, like uh, the Asian carp and stuff, you do not think like, Oh, this is a table fair fish. Like you think the complete sure. opposite. Um. So you you got into bass fishing and stuff. What point in time? Uh, we talked a little bit before you, you got pretty big into. Well, before we get to that, when did you like start to start to go out and purposely bass fish and and kind of like start taking pictures with them, throwing them in the live well for pictures? Or did it just kind of go from like doing it for fun when you guys go crappie fishing to jumping into tournaments? Or was there was there an in between phase for you? So.
1: Um... Once, um, once I got to where I had, um, mobility, I want to say I was a sophomore when I got my first little truck. Um, and I was already into bass fishing, you know, not, not heavily, you know, every time my dad would go or something like that. But, um, at the time my dad had a 17 foot, um, pro crappie, which was a, a, a aluminum tracker boat, um. It had, like, six lob wells all the way around it, bro. Like, it was oh, not man. no bass boat by any means, but it was a nice little rig. And he, um, he, he didn't mind me taking it at all. Like, I, I think he enjoyed seeing me pull out going fishing rather than doing, you know, going and doing something else crazy. So, oh, yeah, literally, literally every day after school, uh, every weekend, I was hooking up to, the, to his little crappie boat and going fishing. And we had, um, we have a bunch of different little bayous. I, I live on a, uh, a Bayou Bafica now, which is um, here in Slidell. But we also had this little lake, um, we call it the Eagle's Nest. And it was fed from, from the river, but um, it was landlocked. It kind of fed through the marsh um, as, as the, the tide came up and down. But it was an extremely good little lake. I mean, nothing huge. You could fish the entire perimeter um, if you started at daylight, you know, by the time the sun came down. But it had quality fish in it. A lot of three to five pounders. And that's where I cut my teeth, bro. That's where I I learned um, different techniques, you know, um, where I learned how to fish for school and fish and where I learned to frog. It, It just allowed me to really expand my knowledge through my teen years and that's when um that's when it it really like I really caught the bug you could say I, I was I was all in at that point
0: yeah at this point was it still were you still kind of teaching yourself like learning structure learning new baits and everything or uh like when I when I really got into bass fishing like my freshman eighth grade year I was like I thought I was super into it. And then I look back on it today and I'm like, oh, like I was fishing a Senko. Like I was into it, but I'm not like, I wasn't, I thought I was like professional dude. Like I'd go out there and catch like 20 fish and be like, oh my gosh, like this, I'm going to fish tournaments. Was there a point like that? Or did you kind of just course. jump in head first and fish everything? No, I, I thought I was Iconelli like at that point, bro. I thought <laughs> I was like, was like
1: going, you know, I thought I was headed, headed places. But in reality, it's kind of like you said, I, I would throw a fluke and, and, you know, and I would pitch a crawl or something, but I was in no, no shape or form, um, (laughs) you know, super well-rounded. I just, you know, I think I just loved it that much. And I I was good at a handful of techniques, but I was, you know, in, in no shape or form ready for the circuit or something, you know?
0: Yeah. So you, you had mentioned Ike Nelly. Was that, uh, did you get into watching tournaments and stuff like on TV or like look, looking at the magazines and stuff? Or how did you kind of, how did you figure out that there was like a tournament series? Cause dude, I don't even, I think it may have been like my sophomore or junior year. Like I had been fishing for a while and then I found out like, Oh my gosh, like people compete for like half a million dollars every year to bass fish. I'm like, that's freaking awesome.
1: Yeah, man. So, so by that time I was, I was fully aware of, um, FLW was still really big at that time, and, and bass, of course. Um, So I, I was fully uh, aware of, of being able to fish professionally and, and following those guys. Um, I, I, I followed all the tournaments that they would fish. Um, but um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of losing myself a little bit.
0: No, you're good, man. Um, shit, what was I gonna say? Oh, so. You you kind of you start cutting your teeth, start learning these fish and stuff. At what point in time were you like? When did you hear about your first tournament? Did you guys? I mean, pro- you probably didn't have a high school team back then because it sounds like it was pretty. The tournament stuff was pretty big. Was there high school tournaments back then, or were you fishing like Wednesday nighters with with the old guys and the young guys who were coming up?
1: Yeah, man. So so no no high school teams. Or anything like that but we do have a pretty um substantial local tournament scene we, we have a few uh, night tournaments or evening tournaments Yeah, we have yep. a, quite a few um large clubs around here so just about every weekend you could jump in one of the club's tournaments you know 10 to 20 to, to 25 boats and i kind of learned that through that same time period where i'm fishing this little lake and, and learning all these different things um I have a, a older brother that's 10 years older and, and through his 10 years, he was kind of um, into the same thing, not quite as extreme, but he would fish the evening tournaments and stuff like that. And I think that's where I kind of, um, you know, caught the bug for that as well. I, I would fish the evening tournaments with him. And then every once in a while uh, we would fish a, a Saturday, tour- you know, all day tournament or something like that. And that's where I kind of, um, you know, Figured out that that was um, something that I could do, you know, extracurricular or, or you know, at that time I, I, I wanted everything in the world to go professional. Of course, nowadays it's not it's not quite as um, it's not quite something that, that I would want to do. I think it's more trouble than it is um, you know fun at this point. But oh, but I'm yeah, for sure.
0: did I mean you had to learn a shit ton of stuff from these guys fishing these tournaments like your first year or two
1: absolutely man and and like I said at at that point I already thought I, I thought I was good enough to to go um you know I really thought I was something so immediately um after high school I jumped in um at the at the time was the FLW Costa um sorry about that Oh, you're good, man. And I and I would fish it, uh I'd fish the Costa series, which I think now is um you know, the opens. And yeah, um good. exactly. And and I learned a lot fishing just as a co angler with, with these other um with these other pros, man. It's amazing if you're a young kid, um, wanting to fish as a co angler or get involved with, with tournament fishing. It's amazing what you can learn by just getting in the boat with somebody completely random. You know, you don't know their style, what they're what they're um used to fishing offshore up against the bank like it's amazing what you can learn and it really opened my eyes to to um the world of tournament fishing
0: yeah dude that's one thing um i have a good friend who who he's in high school and he does some tournaments and like Uh, It was actually this year he was talking and telling me about the opens and he's like, yeah, I he's like, I have to bring a co-angler so I can fish. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. Like you and whoever you take can fish. He's like, no, like it gets random. Like you just have to bring somebody so they have an even amount of people. And I'm like, oh, you don't know who you fish with? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, dude, that's freaking crazy. That's 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 a I don't know. It'd be it'd be super cool until you get on the boat and you have, um, like a bunch of jigs or, or something. And then the guy pulls up in 40 feet of water and is fishing a drop shot.
1: <laughs> yeah. I and, and all my years as fishing as a boater. Um, um, through the BFLs and the ABAs and the, uh, Federation, I, I've, I've had one bad, what we call a non-boater, well, which would be my co-angler, but Every other time, man, it's it's been great. Very rarely do you get paired up with somebody that's just a, a complete asshole, you know?
0: Yeah, right, right. Um, so you you fished your first open. You you were a co, I assume.
1: I was a co angler in my very first tournament. Uh, was on Okeechobee, which is oh, quite wow. a haul. Yeah, it was quite a haul, man. I was all in. Like I thought I was about to really do this. Um, and um. It was a disaster, bro. It was a complete disaster. Like I was sick by the time I got down there. Um my boaters boat broke down. Like it was a complete disaster. It like crushed it crushed me, bro. Um but yeah, it, it didn't go so well. But what it did do was was teach me that I still had um a lot to learn, you know. I wasn't near as is as, as ready for the big leagues as as I thought I was. And I remember being starstruck at at um at sign up the night before the tournament started. I remember seeing like Jacob Wheeler was on the tour at the time and um, like all of these big guys. And, I, and it was, I was completely starstruck at the
0: time, you know, how many of your, uh, of your local tournaments did you fish? Did you fish those for a year or two before you, you know, packed, packed up the van and headed down to Okeechobee or was it just oh. like a year, year thing? And you're like, I'm doing it. Screw it. Uh, no,
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd been doing it for a couple of years. And I think that's one reason why, my head was a little big because I had some success um, here locally, you know, and and it, that'll kind of get your head swollen pretty quick. But um, but yeah, I'd I'd been fishing tournaments here for for quite a few years by then. Were you
0: cashing a lot of checks locally?
1: Um, yeah, I would say, man, it's it's hard to say, but but yeah, I, I had a, a good bit of success fishing here locally. Whether it was just little evening tournaments or or club tournaments on the weekend, you know, nothing, nothing huge, but I was at least, um, you know, well-rounded enough to to either place or or bring home a check, you know, maybe 50% of the time, 60% of the time, something like that.
0: Now, did that, um, Costa open, did that kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth? And was that the last, uh, MLF series you kind of, went and did or or did you venture back out there and and try it again maybe the next year the next stop on the tour
1: so it was it was three tournaments in in that southern series it was Okeechobee and then Santee Cooper and then the last one was on um um what's what's the What's the big lake on in South Alabama Gunnersville, exactly. Yep. That's,
0: I was gonna say that before you said it, but I didn't wanna cut you off. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that you knew that. I was like, Yeah,
1: read mobile. That mom. was the only
0: other that was like I'm not super good at like southern lakes. Like I look at the like the BASS tournament and I'm like, I don't know where any of these is. I don't know if they're in Florida or in Alabama or Georgia. And then once they start getting up north, like Champlain and, and no, yeah. um, in Malax and stuff, I'm like, Okay, I know where these lakes are.
1: So um the last one on Gunnersville, I, I wound up doing, doing really well. Um, and, and of course, um, bombing the first two and then and then making a really good place in the last one, it at least lifted me up a, a little bit, you know, but, but what it did show me was, um, I just didn't enjoy fishing out the back of the boat. It just wasn't my style, even if I was ready or not ready, I just didn't like not being able to make the decisions, um, uh, fish at my speed you know I, I didn't care for it at all so in the following years um what i did was fish lower level events like the bfl and the aba events but i'd fish them as a boater and, and go as you know the main guy on the boat as opposed to the guy on the back of the boat
0: yeah were you fishing out of the, out of the crappie slayer or did you did you save up some money from your winnings and stuff and, and buy a little rig for yourself
1: yeah so in 2013 man i don't know how old that was um in my <laughs> early early 20s i think my, my dad could see how passionate i was uh about bass fishing so he helped me um uh, we kind of put together and uh we purchased a zx 190 um which is a 19 foot skeeter bass boat it's kind of their oh skater yeah yeah, it's kind of their starter line, you know. It's not not their super high-end bass boat um, by any means, but it, it really gave me the opportunity to to chase what I wanted to. I could fish all the local tournaments on the weekends and haul ass to the, the spots I wanted to because um, here all our waterways are connected. So you could literally cool. run for two hours in one direction and fish this little canal, you know, and then you could haul ass the other direction. Um, but it also allowed me to, to fish as a boater, um, and travel to these different little lakes within, you know, four or five hours from me.
0: That's so badass, dude. So at that point in time, you kind of had a general idea. Did you enjoy being the boater a lot more and having some random guy on the back of the boat?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) And, um. What I did is, is every year I, I fished um what we call the Cowboy Division, which was Sam Rayburn. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Texas oh, Lakes. Yeah. It was yep. Sam Rayburn and it was Toledo Bend. We I didn't have any big lakes close to me here. Uh, we have a cool river system, but but nothing worthy of holding a big tournament like like a BFL. So I had to travel to Rayburn and Toledo. Um so that's where I, I kinda got my, my my big lake experience from um i would travel there majority of the time by myself um and yeah i would just do what i could you know i I think that looking back on it that's how much i love tournament fishing is i would literally travel by myself i would practice by myself i would sometimes camp sometimes i would stay in these little you know sleazy motels but um yeah I, i loved every second of it
0: did, uh, I mean, you always hear guys like in the uh, bass and, and everybody, everything else. There's, kinda, there's usually a couple groups of guys who are all friends and they split hotels and stuff. Did you, did you fish enough to, kinda, to meet a few guys that, that you talk to and kind of bounce patterns off of and stuff? Or was it, was it just strictly Jared was going and Jared was paying for everything, staying by himself, talking to himself about what he should do the next day?
1: So I, I was never big into to doc talk or, or tackle talk. But what I did do is is a lot of the co-English that I met along the ride uh, that, you know, I enjoyed their company. I would stay in touch with those guys. And if they were in town for the tournament, I'd let them come practice with me or put a hotel with me or or something like that. But for the for the most part, man, I was I was a lone wolf. I, I, I liked there's something about just being Quiet by myself, I could go at the speed I wanted. If I wanted to haul ass on this bank um with my trolling motor all the way up, or if I wanted to go extra slow and pick this cover apart, I could do that without any anything in the back of my mind, you know, telling me let's go over here or there. I just enjoyed being by myself. It's kinda yeah, it might be
0: kinda of weird to some people, but <laughs> that's that's how I liked it. No, I was just about to say, um, like dude, I couldn't I don't know the last time I could say I fished with somebody like whether that be on shore or a boat and there's something to be said about fishing by yourself. It's, it's a lot of fun. You kind of, I don't know, you get, you get into a mode and I I know guys can relate to this. I mean, I'm sure you probably can. You just, you get into a mode and you're just, you're, you're thinking five casts ahead. You're looking, you're looking down the bank. You're finding where you, where you want to pitch up to, or you where you're going to slow down to and kind of pick apart and stuff. And not saying it doesn't happen when you're fishing with somebody and like talking and, and having conversations with your buddy in the back of the boat, but it you're not in that like Zen zone. You're not, dude, I don't know. It's a weird thing to put it. I don't know if you can relate. Maybe I'm just spouting no, crazy absolutely. right now.
1: <laughs> absolutely. It just, it kind of allows you to to separate yourself and and then when whenever you do finally figure out something, you figure out that creek that's holding them or that that pattern that's working, you know it it's just that much better because you you know you figured that out. You're by yourself yeah. on this giant lake and 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 you figured out what's going on and and I think there's something to be said about you know just doing that by yourself.
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong, it's a lot of fun to to fish with buddies and stuff, but I think. I think it's fun to fish with buddies when when you have it figured out, like, if if you went the week before and you found a pattern, and and you guys can go out there and just catch a lot of fish and just shoot the breeze while you're out there, it's not fun when your buddy's up on the deck with you, or he's in the back or whatever, and you guys are just cutting your teeth, not catching diddly squat, and it's just, you're hot, you're pissed off, you're hungry, and there's just a a weird feeling in the air, like, that's how I'd always felt about it.
1: For sure, Yep. I have one, one, or I have a couple good buddies here that, that I don't mind at all jumping in my boat on, on tournament day. Um, you know, we've got some history together, but, but yeah, for the most part, I'm totally with you. I'd I'd rather be by myself too.
0: Yeah. And so how, how many opens and stuff did you fish before, uh, maybe you kind of had enough of a taste or, you kind of broke out and maybe and maybe won one or, or got super close, and that kind of kept you going for a little while.
1: So I had um it was a good while, man, and, and I think I think what was going on was I, I was so I was so nervous, kind of like I was talking to you. I, I, obviously, I don't know if, if anybody knows that. I was pretty nervous to even to talk to you, but I think I was. um You know, I didn't I didn't want to fail or let you know I let my family down i didn't want to um you know I, I didn't want to fail at it and i think the nerves really held me back a little bit that and then i've been a little 18 and a half foot boat and everybody's got the you know the 21 foot hauls with the 250s and they're hauling ass across the lake and i would try to stay within the creeks kind of close to me so it it took a while before i had some some success but um there was one tournament on Sam Rayburn in uh, September. It was their super tournament. And um, I just smashed them, man. I had a really uh, good pattern going with a little tiny booyah frog, and, and I just smashed them that day. I ended up um, having a good bag, and then at the end of the day, I just I stopped at these floating docks, and um, I ended up catching my kicker fish like the last five minutes um swimming a jig out from these docks it was like it was it was meant to be but um, my wife was there at the time so she was there way in and it was it was a it was a big deal for me so I think that just kind of gave me the the confidence to do it you know without without worrying
0: yeah so how much I mean are you still pretty active and maybe maybe not necessarily the opens but do you still tournament fish quite a bit like your local stuff
1: I do, yeah. Um, not so much in the dead heat of the summer. It, it is super hot down here in the middle of the summer. Eight hours in the middle of the sun when it's, you know, yeah. fifteen out, it is brutal. But from um from say now pretty much through till till May, um I'm super active in the in the tournament scene here and then I'll fish a couple BFLs each year. Lately I've been into the, the ABA has a solo event called the Top 150 Um on Ray Toledo. I'll usually jump in those and so not quite as much. Like I don't I don't have the desire to do it um as a career anymore. I just do it out of, of love for tournament fishing, you know.
0: Yeah. Do you have any um uh, like want or drive to, to fish like what are they? Are they the bass pro, the big fish series, the big bass? bash or whatever they're called like up on uh, uh i think it's like kentucky lake i think has one maybe like like the mcdonald's Big bash bash. Yeah, like the douglas lakes like uh i don't know i just know i don't know if it's still the cabela's one i'm talking about but like it's like one fish every hour wins x yeah. amount of dollars
1: yeah so um i got a little story about that um One year I fished. We down here we have one called the McDonald's Big Bass Splash, and it's the same type of deal. um, Hourly weigh ins, you know. But um, every year they would have like a jackpot for somebody that could catch um, a three pounder right on the dot, and they got these scales that weigh it to like you know the whatever. It has to be exact. And um, in one year I caught the exact three pounder bro and, and i and i cashed a five thousand
0: dollar check from it so yeah Holy i have a little shit. i
1: have a little bit of experience with the big bass splash but um i haven't done it in a while though to be honest Dude,
0: that's a good one and done story never fish one of those again <laughs> exactly Yep. Yeah, exactly so at what point in time like when you were fishing tournaments and, and you'd have four or five fish and, and you had two hours left what were you fishing swim baits at this time? Did you kind of know what swim baits were, or were you just kind of like, I'm, I'm not dropping $50 on that bait? Like, that's silly.
1: So, it wasn't so much um, that I thought it would silly. I always had this kind of romantic look at swim baits. Um, I'd, I'd been following, like, uh, Big Bass Dreams and, and, and Southern Trout Eaters for a while, like like I, I was familiar with it with big baits, and and I I liked watching it. The the idea of it was was cool to me. But what kind of um, progressed um, swim baits for me was just starting to throw larger soft swims, and I think that's kind of how a lot of people get into throwing swim baits. Um, my original big soft swim was a Magnum Fluke, and that might sound kind of corny, but to me that was. That was my original um glide bait. I don't know if if you fish magnum flukes much, but um if if you're not used to larger baits that that was like a a, a big bait you know and and that was kind of what gave me my first glance at um how fish reacted to something larger how to, how to work it in a, in a gliding type motion um and then from there um I started fishing larger kitex, the 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 four eights and the i think it's the five eight and um for a couple years in a row i had success on sam rayburn fishing um the larger kytex through these big um hydrilla patches they were like these big submerged uh, like basically large bushes of of hydrilla and you couldn't see it from the surface it's something you got to see you know find on your graph but um yeah uh, I had some success uh, like a couple years in a row doing it, like just kind of slow winding a tech through through these uh, big hydraulic patches. And it really like expanded my thinking on what if, you know, what if I had a, a, a big glide coming through there or a big swimmer or something like that? And I think that's what really kind of sparked, um, you know, my interest in it.
0: Yeah. So, what was the first bait you bought? Was it like an S waver Gantrell? You know, the usual, or did you kind of, you kind of go balls to the wall, I guess, for your first bait?
1: So it went from um, the large Kitex to um, the the Mega Bass Magdraft. Man, that was like my juice. Okay. And down here locally, um, there's a, an area that's kind of infamous for. For tournament fishing, I've, I've won a, a good deal of money out of, but it's a ton of docks, man. It's all waterfront living, these kind of canals where everybody's got a dock or a bulkhead. And um and I, I've fished the mag draft through there. Um and even like the the gnarliest docks, it could be four or five inches off the water, and I could skip that mag draft literally all the way to the back and just kind of slow wag it all the way out. And um man, they would hammer it. And, and that was kind of, I did that for a while, like on my wall right now, I probably have like, I don't know, 20 mag drafts sitting up there just, <laughs> just because that was my juice and I still feel right, yeah. um, like that was my thing. So, um, and that's what, what kind of got me even further into it. I was researching, uh, other weedless swim baits. Um, and I remember coming across, uh, um, uh, jeffrey the king and he was talking about um uh citizens and, and battle shads and and i was like holy shit like that is that looks amazing but of course if you're not familiar with um swim baits in general and the culture that there, there's you can't find those anywhere you know so I, I yeah. couldn't it those at the time but um it at least kind of opened my eyes even more and, and 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 led me down the hole you know
0: I was, I was completely, I mean, working class zero didn't take me off guard. I was expecting you, I was expecting you to say the rising sun from Mickey. That's what I was honestly expecting you to say from, from talking, from you talking about fishing the opens and stuff like over in Texas. I was, that's what I was betting you were about to say.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm more familiar with, with East Texas. Uh, I think uh, uh, forking those guys are a little further over than I've been, but, but actually I had another prominent guy in, in, in the universe that turned me on to um some of his stuff and and actually um punching some of his swim baits as, as odd as that might sound uh that's another technique here that that wins you money it just does it, it, it's a technique that that catches big fish where i'm from is is punching uh punching big uh high mats and and stuff like that. So I got into actually punching uh swim baits as, as weird as that sounds. And that was from from another guy in Universe that was doing something similar.
0: That's awesome. I, I know some guys who do it. My question is, did you start off with the six inch mag draft, or did you kind of but what is it, the mag slow, the seven inch and then the eight inch? Or did so you yeah, start off
1: with the six inch? It was the six inch all the all, all the way. Um, I have quite a few eight inch that I like to throw when I'm on places like Ray Burnett and Toledo, you know, across these big points and, and stuff like that. But, but it was a six inch all the way. The al- albino pearl. Was oh
0: yeah. The it's the juice. <laughs> but,
1: and it was a sleeper for a long time, but I don't know if, um, if, if you were like into the, the classic, I think it was two years ago in Hartwell, uh, maybe even last year, Whatever that the last classic was on Hartwell, and everybody was throwing the mag draft. They were all skipped on the docks. It was like the thing. And as soon as that classic was over, you couldn't find them anywhere. Nowhere, bro. Like (laughs) I used to get all these different colors on eBay and you know, all these little places and and you couldn't find them anywhere.
0: Dude, that's like that's what's crazy in the tournament world. Like a high profile tournament. Like uh, I know the the guy who won fuck, I don't even the Hobie East, uh, East Open or whatever the hell it's called. I don't know. No one minder. Yeah. He ended up winning it. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but he ended up catching, dude, an absolute like insane uh, amount of smallmouth, like inch wise, and he caught him uh, on this little like beetle crawler. I don't know, not not beetle. Um, Caseta, not Caseta. What the hell are they called? Uh, what are those little bugs called that like come out every seven months? Like yeah, a locust. Yeah. 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 Whatever, whatever those are. Cicada. I, yeah. It's a cicada. cicada
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So it's like a cicada imitating pattern. And like, he figured out that these, these small like these big small were gorging on when they'd fall out of the tree and kind of like a mayfly hatch
1: out. type. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so he, him and his brother ended up finishing first and second because of these, uh, these little top water crawling baits and dude, not 20 minutes after he posted them, on youtube and mentioned the name in his winning interview dude they were sold out literally everywhere and that's the thing like uh that guy who won the open i think on uh i think it was like the new york open this year on the tk dude after that there was not a tk anywhere there there was such uh such an influx of people joining swim bait groups and stuff then because they heard this guy caught him on this jdm bait that you could do all this stuff with and that's like that's it. Like I said, any high-profile tournament. Who, if that guy name name drops a bait, dude, it's it's impossible to find for the next six months.
1: It, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool scenario if you think about it, though. Because sometimes, oh, it, yeah, it brings um, attention to our um, our culture, you know, and our our bait makers and our garage builders. It, it, it's pretty cool. Sometimes, you know, it, I like it.
0: Yeah, that's like if. If somebody, if somebody won um, a big tournament on like one of your baits and like the open and they're like, oh yeah, I, I did most of my damage on the, on the chocolate, chocolate baits rat and everybody's like, oh my gosh. And then just like your website crashes because you have so much traffic on there. Like it's badass but like, it's just like people, people, people try to gatekeep it and just buy up as much as they can. And then they try to sell them for ridiculous because they know everybody else is trying to find it. It's just, it's so funny to watch from the outside.
1: Yeah, that's that's literally like every industry ever, man. This, this, yeah, this, exactly. Like you know, it's, it's got the same people doing the same things everywhere, you know.
0: Shoes and everything, which is exactly. it's crazy. But uh, shit what was I going to say? Oh. So you you got really big into the oh, excuse me. The soft uh paddle tails and and uh, you know, soft soft swim soft swimmers and stuff. Do you remember your first hard bait you picked up and was it kind of like oh I'm just I'm gonna buy one and see how I like it or were you intrigued with it like oh my god like like a buca swimmer were you like oh my gosh like that bull shad looks crazy it swims through the water looks just like a gizzard shad
1: yeah man matter of fact one of the first um, hard baits I bought was was the five inch um, bull shad swimmer. I think that's the case for a lot, for a lot of people just like oh, the, yeah. yep. the mag draft and, you know, everything else It's kind of a, a go-to and, and still is, but I, I never, I never really got into big, um, you know, huge hard baits. It's just not, it's not conducive for the, the area I fish down here. And I, and I like own glide baits and, and stuff. It's just, um, where i live the the clarity of water generally is a foot or two you know so it's not something we can do and and um and watch fish come out from the dock and follow it and you can kind of try to trick them into biting it's it's not you know practical for around here so it wasn't when i got into it, it to building it it wasn't um I didn't want to start out trying to build a, a large trout type bait or something. Cause it just wasn't practical for here, you know?
0: Yeah. And dude, hearing, hearing you guys down South talk about like one to two foot visibility, dude, it hurts my heart because I think for me that's what makes swim bait fishing so much fun is watching these fish just lose their marbles and come up and smack a bait in like 10 foot of water, dude, it's so crazy. Like, Don't get me wrong, like, watching Carlton's cast to catch is fun and stuff because I know he catches a fish, but I could not go out there and just crank baits down or or rip glide baits around not knowing what the hell I'm casting at. Like, I can see cover I'm casting at here, like, down there, dude. It's just, obviously, I think if I grew up down there, it'd be a lot different, but, like, I'm completely 180 with what you guys are like down there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that just, it seems so much harder. Like, I have zero confidence in dirty water.
1: Yeah, man, it's all um, reaction strike for the most part here. But the on the other side of the coin, the fish don't see they don't see big crankbaits, they don't see um glide baits or, or giant swimmers. Like they, they don't see that at all. So in some some cases, um you know, it, it can it can be um, you know, almost better because our, our fish aren't keen on it, but at the same time it, you, you know it it is what it is. It's not it's not um a clear water scenario where you could throw a, a big live bait and trick a fish into it. It's more reaction style and, and that's what yes. it is.
0: Right. They they hear something and they come out from the come out from the uh log jam or, or beneath the dock to come investigating, like, oh shit, I better eat that thing before it gets away.
1: Yeah, or it's literally uh walking on top of their head and they're just pissed, you know. Why why is this thing right in my face like all of a sudden it yeah, reaction style
0: right so kind of get into the into the building kind of meat and potatoes of this show this episode i should say did you you bought that buka uh the bull shad, and did you buy some other base and you're like okay these are super cool but i think i could i could take i could make my own take on them and and make something that i think would work a little bit better for where i am cuz with most builders it's it's very common from what i've seen and talked to and heard is guys guys build baits to catch fish in their area and you hear that all the time and then you're like oh like uh they post a video or post post a picture or some video or something and guys are like oh dude i want to try that like, it, would, it would kill where i'm at and they're like okay and then you know a, a year or two later they're they're making drops for 50 baits at a time because their stuff took off is that kind of how it was for you or did you just build it for fun so you didn't have to buy any baits
1: so I, I guess my my story is is a little different than the traditional guy that that had been swim bait fishing for years, and and they saw a gap in the market, and they wanted to try to make something you know that really worked for them where they're at. Um, and in, this story might sound a little corny. I'm I'm aware of that, but this is this is literally how it went. Okay. Um, for a few years, I had um been looking for something that i truly enjoyed like a hundred percent i was head over heels about and and for a while i thought that was art in general i did a lot of um acrylic paintings i did a lot of digital illustrations and and i loved it but I, i felt like there was something something missing you know what i'm saying it's kind of strange to even talk about but one day i was um surfing through instagram as we all do
0: oh yeah and
1: um i came across prog's page and I, I even though i had the the uh bullshad and i had the the mag drafts i wasn't familiar with these garage builders and these you know higher-end baits and i came across prog's page and it hit me like a ton of bricks like this dude was making not only something that was truly um capable of catching big fish but he was making little masterpieces of of art like it, it was amazing what he was doing it blew my mind and as corny as this might sound i knew like i knew right then that that's like i knew that's what i wanted to do and from like in the same scenario the same sit on instagram i went from Prague and i stumbled upon a ludes page uh, and yeah. at that point, it, it was like over with. I saw what Lyndall was doing with with these rats and, and um, how they were catching giant fish, but he was, you know, hand painting each one. They were like perfect and little little works of art. And I, I knew that's what I wanted to do, uh, uh, like 100,000%. And it might sound backwards to, to how some people kind of got into the game, but I had had always been into woodworking and um, I built little uh, Boston square bills when I was younger and I made my own jigs. I had a general understanding of how lures were built, you know, how to um, how to do the ballast and the bait, make them symmetrical and do the line ties. Like I had general familiarity with it. Um, but yeah, I, I knew like without a shadow of a doubt, that's what I wanted to do was, was build build lures build larger than average lures and and try to make up little works of
0: art damn dude so were you a part of universe or any forms at the time or was it literally just you randomly stumbled upon it like on your explorer page and then just kind of fell into the rabbit hole i I literally
1: stumbled upon it i wasn't part of universe i wasn't um part of any of that like like I said earlier I, I had um I'd been following like big bass streams and, and and stuff like that it was a romantic idea for me to throw larger baits but I was so wrapped up in tournament fishing it wasn't exactly practical so I just never went all the way with it and um and that was kind of the idea behind Chocolate when I started it was to um build larger than average baits but um you know that still appealed to the bait community but was small enough to where i could still implement it into my tournament fishing you know so that's that was kind of the idea behind it and then to try to make them as um as cool as i could you know
0: yeah so before we before we get into to you prototyping and, and carving and stuff I, I want to know, how did you come up with the name uh, Chocolate Baits? Was that just something you're like, uh, you know, this is just what I'm going to name it just because, or was there a meaning behind it? So, it, it took a while. I, I'd had um, a couple baits in the works for a while,
1: and, and I was um, I was excited about the idea of, of building a brand and, you know, and, and a little business, and um I was thinking about names for a while and I would put notes in my phone of different ideas of names and chocolate was actually one of the, the first ones and a lot of people know. Um I used to be in skateboarding as well. I, I love I love the skate culture and, and you know, the, the kind of uh street art scene it brings with it and, and all that type of stuff. So I was very familiar with, with chocolate skateboards, but but anyways. I would put these different names of, of you know that I thought were somewhat cool in my phone and every once in a while I would go through them. and for some reason that one just stuck out like literally every time and I would um I would show my wife all the you know all these different names I had written down and and that was one we just kept going back to and I think one of the reasons was um I knew with the brand that I wanted to incorporate my artistic side, um, with digital illustrations and, and different, you know, different stuff like that. And say the name. Uh, my name's Jared. Say I named it J N Bates. There, there's not much cool I can I can do artistically with that. But the name Chocolate, like I could build, um, I could build a brand off of that. I could put, I can incorporate that into my paint jobs and the logos and and you know on slaps and T-shirts and. It was just a, a a cool name that that resonated with me that I could I could build a brand behind.
0: Yeah, dude, that's that's sick. I was like, "There's there's got to be a meaning behind it." Not that it's like a, a random name, but I was like, "It's it's odd enough that there was something that either just it sounded good or or there's a meaning." I don't know. I, I knew there was something behind it though.
1: It's, it kind
0: of it kind of boggles me sometimes, like like how I landed on that.
1: But it's funny I, I think I think people like it, man and, and and I like it i I like how I can incorporate it into everything and um you know, I think it's just a, a cool, kind of different name.
0: Dude, I will say your uh your um knuckle tattoo sticker, dude, that is such a badass sticker. I love that sticker so much. it's so funny. <laughs>
1: So that's actually, um, that's a playoff of a toy machine, which is a, another, uh, pretty prominent skateboard, uh, brand. And, and they had one very similar that, that said toy machine across it. So it was just another kind of play off the skate culture, which I, I try to incorporate because I really have a passion for, for, for skateboarding in general.
0: Yeah. So, oh shit, what was I going to say? So you, you got into the swim baits and everything and, Did you, when you first started, you said you had mentioned earlier that you were kind of, you had woodwork and stuff. Uh, Did you start, what was the first bait you you wanted to carve? Was it your rat or did you think like of a wake bait? Or did you just kind of soak up a lot of information at the beginning? Like Google, like how do I make a, how do I make a swim bait or types of swim baits? Or I guess how, what was square one for chocolate baits and you?
1: So the first, the first, bait and prototype I started making and, and it's, I think the E10X had the, the same kind of scenario. And I think a lot of new swim naturally gravitate towards um, a gill waking crank. I don't know what it is, whether it's the, the wade, you know, or, or what it is, but, but I think a lot of new builders and new swim in general gravitate towards, um, gill style waking cranks. And that was my, my first bait that I made. I have it hanging on my wall. And um, that was the first bait that, that Jake with Row Innovations was supposed to make for me, uh, make, make, you know, master molds for me. And kind of in between um, uh, working with Jake, I just started randomly working on a rat, you know, I think. I had touched on earlier how my first kind of look and love into the swim bait community was prog and elude. So I think I naturally kind of gravitated towards, um, towards the rat and not only prog and elude, but, but here locally, um, there's, there's generally three ways um, you, you make money tournament fishing. It's frogging or uh, punching or cranking. So, so top water was kind of, heavy in my in my wheelhouse so um i put i put the waking crank to the side it's still even if i look at it right now it's it's not the coolest thing ever and i'm I'm glad i went towards the rat but um <laughs> but yeah i just i just um i randomly started making a rat man and i think another thing that i do a little bit different is a lot of people carve their masters out of wood and my, my Jordan crank I carved out of wood, but a lot of times when I'm creating a new lure, I know a lot of of makers um, carve their masters out of wood. And I was I was saying my my Jordan crank was carved out of wood, so I, I do do that sometimes. But for the most part, um, I work with poly clay for my masters, which is like a I think a synthetic clay that you can kind of heat up and and it'll turn solid and. Um, you can kind of get a general shape that you want and then you can heat it up and then you can add another layer and, and kind of go from there but what it allows you to do is um is just kind of have a free-forming um you know a free-forming clay in your hand and nothing rigid where you got to work with this shape and and that's what i did with the rat um had a handful of pictures of rats that I liked um, just the general look of them. And I literally sat down and and just kind of free formed um, this rat out of clay.
0: Damn. So did you have an idea of what you were shooting for beforehand? Like you're like, okay, so these are what these guys look like. I want mine to maybe look a little bit more realistic or or less curves or a little bit more uh, rough to it. Like, did you have an idea or did you just let your hands go to town and start working on yeah so i had
1: a i had a general idea i knew the the length of it i wanted the general size and i i knew i wanted that head kind of up and if you see a, a rat in the water naturally his body and his his mid torso kind of sits low in the water and exactly. then he's got that kind of nose up like he's keeping you know keeping his nose out of water so yeah like, so a, like a dog breathe.
0: swim same exact way
1: exactly so if you see the rat sitting flat it kind of sits nose up so i I know i wanted that kind of realism to it and i wanted some some cool characteristics the ears up and and all that um and it just kind of kind of went naturally um but yeah that that's how that's how i got formed was was clay and not wood (laughs) and like i said the jordan crank was was carved out of wood I, i enjoyed doing that as well but sometimes if if you want something different and not the same as everybody else has got, with the same general shape and the same gills, you got to do something kind of, kind of different and, and, and free form it, you know?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, did you now, here's the part that always throws everybody for a kicker, not necessarily making the mold, but pouring the bait and figuring out the, the, um, the ratios and everything you need for the micro balloons to resin and stuff. Did you have any help? Like, did you talk to any uh, other bait builders or were you on Facebook forums? Like, I know there's a lot of lure building groups and stuff or YouTube videos, or did you just kind of uh, take the bull by the horns and, and trial and error it yourself?
1: Yeah, so um, that process for me was extremely frustrating. And, and I, would, I would look up the forums on, on the ground and, and just like everybody else would do and, and all the other kind of tackle building sites. And further down the line, um, I, I did become, you know, friends with with some prominent makers, and they would help me out a little bit here and there. Um, but for the most part, it was trial and error, man. Uh, I started designing this rat in early spring of last year of twenty one, and I didn't send it off to Jake with Roe until uh, until Thanksgiving. So that was like a ten month build and trial and error um, span that went by before I felt comfortable with it. And, and even once even once I thought I had it down to where I wanted it with, with my type of resin, the, the brand of resin, the micro balloons, um, it still evolved even after I had my master's done. Um, it, it was like a, a, an strenuous, like a long learning curve for me. And I think some people might pick it up easier or they might have friends in the industry that can you know clue them on 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 those um basics right off the bat you know but but i I had to learn it for myself
0: damn dude yeah i i've had a good amount of bait builders on here and i've also um, gotten to talk to a lot of bait builders like personally and stuff and that's like the hardest part i feel like not necessarily carving like it's it's hard to kind of carve and, and like like you said, kind of go outside the box and do something that is kind of like your trademark thing on your bait. But figuring out that ratio to micro balloons to make them float or to make it an extra slow sink with minimal tuning and the hardware and stuff, like sure, I feel I feel like that makes or breaks a lot of guys. I feel like there's probably a whole lot of people out there who have tried to make baits and have a super badass master mold, and then they just
1: it never went anywhere.
0: Yeah, dude. Like they, they put so much money to it and not necessarily that they give up, but they're like, dude, this is pointless. Like I've dropped, you know, two, two grand or a grand or 500 bucks, whatever on, sure. on trying to make this master. And I, I can't figure it out. Like, this is no good. Like I'm, I'm literally losing money and who knows when I'm going to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And, and this is, um, for all the new builders or, or builders that are looking to get into it. Um, The smaller, if if you're working with resin, the smaller the bait is, the harder it is to make it um to make it a true swimming bait or, or even a buoyant bait. If you think about it, my rat is pretty small. So there's not much resin there to begin with that makes it buoyant. But by the time you add your hardware, your lip slots, your ballast, like there's not much resin to even make it uh, Buoyant to begin with, you know. So, the larger the bait you have, and the more resin bulk in general, uh, generally it's a little easier to work with. But I think I, I put myself behind the eight ball a little bit to start with with this wrap because it was so small. It, it was a, it was a lot harder to get it um, to get it through and correct and swimming true. You know, it made every little detail have to be that much more spot on
0: yeah for sure like it, it leaves very very little room to uh for trial and error for sure yeah it, it didn't take much
1: for it to to barely even want to float at all so I think that was a lot <laughs> of what the trial and error was 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 getting the resin formula correct and um getting the ballast and ballast location correct and then the bill the bill was a huge one man you can imagine how many how many baits you go through trying to oh, get not yeah. only the location correct but the angle correct like like you could go through 50 baits in a in a scenario just trying to get that dialed in correctly you know
0: yeah for sure the next thing i was going to ask is um your hardware how how did you kind of pick out like what screw locks and eye, eye bolts and everything like did you just, did you just kind of go with something and stick with it and then kind of build your formula around that after or was there was that a lot of fine tweaking and stuff too?
1: Yeah, so I I, I wasn't a fan especially with the smaller baits of um of um the the twist and eye hangers, what do you call those? I'm having a, a a brain fart here. Oh, what do oh you like,
0: like the swivel, like the swivels. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't remember
1: <laughs> the swivel. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew, I wanted, um, I knew, I wanted hookingers that that sat in place. Um, it wasn't a huge need to have it with a smaller bait. It's not like they got something they can really, you know, thrash around a bunch. But my original rat was actually um, a screw eye to screw eye joint, as opposed to the double screw with the pin through it. You know. And um, and yeah. and just through um, working with different different scenarios, I, I liked the action that had better with with the um, with the pin as opposed to the just kind of screw eye to screw eye joint. But um, but yeah.
0: Damn. So you you finally you get your uh, hardware and everything picked out and stuff. How? How long did you test it? Like, did you go out one day and you just smack the fish and you're like, holy shit, like I need, I need to make some more of these and, and give them to other people and see if they yield the same results or if I just had beginner's luck with it. Now, it, it
1: took a while, man. I'm going to be, I'm going to be blatantly honest with you. It, it took a while. And to me, a while, you know, might be a short amount of time for some builders, but it took me a while. I, I never in my life built something uh, that was jointed for one and was this size. So my first couple months and in in and having a basic mold of this bait being able to pour it and try to work it was a disaster. not only did it not swim, but it would sink or or the bill would be too um too flat to where it didn't wake and just kind of push through the water. So there was a long learning curve. Like I said I started building this in in early spring of last year, and and I didn't even feel comfortable enough to send it to Jake, um, and until like eleven months later. So it was a while. Yeah. Once I once I got it to to something very to to what I thought was was good. It wasn't perfect, but it was it was pretty dang good. Um. By then I had made some relationships with guys in the universe, and and some of them more prominent guys and i just asked them i didn't put some big post on universe and ask about testers so 50 guys i wanted a free bait could ask i just kind of messaged (laughs) different people that i thought were truly fishing giving me opinion um and i sent them baits and some of those guys still have those those original um chocolate rats so it's i'm hoping one day i'll I'll get to see those but but yeah that that's kind of how it happened and, and even once i got the masters back from jake and i started um really building the bait and painting them and, and clearing them correctly um it was still a learning curve man even to this day I, I feel like that is the one thing i've gotten better at and and gotten confident at is is just building um um uh, a consistent bait it, when you're working with something this small, even like say my ballast weight is a little bit thicker on one side than it is the other. If I don't have that thicker side like directly in the line in the seam of the bait, like you can make it swim a little bit to that side, and then I gotta correct it on the line tie and so it was a lot of things with consistency that um that I had to learn and, and I feel more confident with now
0: and so. You just mentioned you didn't feel comfortable sending it to Jake. Had you sold any baits other than give them to your testers, or did you kind of test it, make sure it worked, and then you're like, you know what, if I'm gonna do it, I want to do it. I want my bait to, to be symmetrical. I want it to look very aesthetically pleasing. And did you send it to him first, or did you have some runs of of like literally your your bone built or not bone your uh, like stock built baits out there like that you sold to some guys?
1: No, I, I I never sold the rat. Um, I didn't sell the rat till um, maybe, and it was only a few of them. But maybe spring of this year. So it was a solid year after I started. Oh shit! The um, and that was a good little while after I got the masters back from Jade. But one thing I did with the Jordan was was release those a little too early, and and I'm not a, you know I'll admit that the Jordan's a little different than. Than it was originally. There's a handful of the original ones floating out there, but um, the rat itself, um, yeah, I, I didn't actually sell those till till I felt confident with it, and and there might be a, a few of those still floating out there that weren't to the potential they are now. You know, I think a lot of builders go through that, but at least didn't. Um, make a mold last week and i got the you know the scratchy old uh resin bait out this week and i'm already on universe trying to sell it like it's some 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 (laughs) hit or something it it was a it was a process man even though i still feel like i'm brand new in in the builder scene it it was a process
0: yeah so you kind of get your baits out there Was there a lot of hype build up before you even got your mold done? Like were the guys you, you sent test baits to and stuff like did they go out there and just whack them. And then they like, they started posting them on, on Instagram and and Facebook and underground and stuff. And were people like, Oh my gosh, what bait is that? Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Or was it kind of more subtle?
1: Not generally, man. The guys that, that I had fishing the baits, they weren't. They weren't those type of people to to blast it everywhere like like some guys are and and one of the one of the guys that's become a really good friend of mine that that was one of my original t- testers was was Peyton Stump and and he's a pretty prominent guy on on Universe he um he was one of my guys that originally started fishing the rat. and he actually lost his his PB um, largemouth like the first day he got it so. I think after then it kind of you know I think I think he really had a, a, a liking to the bait a little bit, but no, nah, it was never like um you know I sent it to these specific guys because I knew they would they would you know talk about it. I just wanted to send it to true fishermen.
0: Yeah, for sure. Were those guys? Were those um, the testers? The, the true fishermen guys? Were those guys you would knew and talked to, or that were local to you, or were those guys that you would see like? Not necessarily constantly, but th- but they were catching good fish when they did post on Universe and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, there there were guys that I could tell were were genuine through Universe, and that I would had some dealing with, whether it was trading a bait or like Peyton. I I had met him through getting him to to paint a couple baits for me. Um, so there were just acquaintances from from there that I knew were genuine people, you know, that would. Would would fish it and, and, you know, and not either bash it or, or over promote it when it wasn't ready, you know? Um, yeah. And that, and that was one thing with chocolate I was adamant about. I wanted the I wanted it to grow organically. And that's why a lot of people don't know my name. Um, I'm not on I'm not on Facebook blasting it every second on universe or, or any of that. I, w- I wanted
0: it to kind of
1: pick up steam organically through Instagram. And, um, and I think that's what it's kind of done, you know?
0: Oh dude, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I, I post, uh, usually once or twice every, every other week, um, on, under on, on universe about the podcast, but literally I grow the most is when guys, you know, a screenshot, screenshot the podcast and post it on their story. And then their followers like, Oh, like I fish some baits. I've never heard of this podcast. And they check it out and like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how fast your page grew and like how, how, uh, how much people were hitting you up asking for baits before you were ready. But like the amount, like, dude, there was days I'd get on Instagram and I'd have 30 new followers, 40 new followers. I'm like, Holy cool. shit. But- and like, and even today I had guys, I had guys messaging me today. There was there's six guys who messaged me today. They're like, Oh dude, it's Thursday. Where's the, where's the new episode at? I'm like, guys, it's, it's bi-weekly. Like I can't drop like four episodes every two weeks. And they're like, Oh, I was like, but, but I, I promise you, I said Monday, Monday and Thursday next week, you'll have two episodes to listen to. It's, it's,
1: it's picking up steam, bro. Right? But you, you have a business in a scenario where, um, you know, it's practical to promote it on sites like university. Yeah. Yeah. Bait makers, not so much because they're, they're everywhere now. And, and, and I'm not trying to bash anybody that's a new maker. I was, um, I'm still a new maker, you know, but I just don't believe in, in, in doing it that way. But in business like yours, hell yeah, people need to know where to be able to listen to and get information and, and, and vibe on Swim you know?
0: Yeah. It, uh, I don't know. I know. I feel like I talk about this like every episode. Maybe I don't, maybe people don't realize it, but. It's just, it's crazy how much people enjoy this. Like I, I I say this all the time. It was very selfish of me to start this because I get to talk to guys like you. I get to, I get to hear stuff from bait makers after, before we're recording about new baits they're working on or, or guys tell me about like fish they're catching that they're holding out to post until the end of the year because they don't want to screw up their bite locally and stuff. And it's like, it's like, Why? Like, why am I lucky enough to hear this stuff, and nobody, else, not not necessarily lucky enough, but what makes me different that I get to hear this stuff? And it's like, well, I don't know, but it's sweet because it was very selfish of me to start this because I get to I get to talk to guys personally and hear stuff like that. Like, dude, every person I've had on the podcast, I probably talk to four or five times every week. Like, it's crazy how many friends I've made doing this and how many like like listeners, dude. I talk to so many people that just listen to the show. Like, they have. They don't want to come on the show and talk at all like I've asked them and and we talk every other day, dude, it's absolutely crazy. It's ridiculous
1: yeah that that's that's why I jumped on the opportunity when you asked me, man. so one day when when you're really big, <laughs> I can have <laughs> one of the OG videos, you know
0: yeah, um so so you get your your testers and stuff and and they're catching some fish on them. Did you, did you know about Jake? How did you find out about Ro? Because Jake is a guy I've had on the podcast. I talked to him a decent amount, a fair amount, and I know guys love him and uh, his wait list cool. is very long. So how did you kind of figure figure out who he was, what they did, and then how long did it take you for that wait list? Was it super busy at that point in time or was it kind of a lull in his calendar year?
1: Yeah, so this is another kind of backwards story that I think Chocolate has. But anyways... I, I had started designing the rat and, and matter of fact, the rat was was very new. At that point I was into building the waking crank like I said earlier. And I, I wasn't familiar with Ro and I stumbled across a video of um, BGC um opening some new molds that he had
0: got from Jake. Oh, they open and, that teal, that classic teal Exactly. And I'm like
1: I'm like who, you know. Not, it started to click with me now, like how I can do this for real. Like, I, I, I see somebody that I can truly kind of um, contact and, and help build this for me. So, um, a lot of guys contact Jake once they got something finalized. They had been fishing it for 10 years, you know. But, like I said, I was so 100% into knowing that this is what I wanted to do. I called, uh, matter of fact, I emailed Jake and he called me. And he was, you know, we were talking and, um, I didn't have a finished bait or none of that. And he was like, Oh my God, this dude, he don't got (laughs) a bait ready. He don't got, he don't got nothing. He's already like asking me about making molds for him and this and that. But I I think, I think Jake somehow in the back of his mind, like knew that I was serious. Like he could tell by the way I was talking that I was really about this and, um, and he just kind of stayed in touch. I had already kind of um, signed up with him to to make some molds. And he just kind of let me go at my pace. Like whenever I was ready with the master to send him, he was ready to take it. So um, he just kind of let me do my thing. And, and when I was ready, um, he took it from there.
0: Man, that's so sick. So did you kind of send him your sketches and, and what, you, what you had envisioned? Or did you just kind of hold off and it was like, dude i i want to work with you at some point in time but i i haven't really even started anything yet
1: yeah so originally i uh, like i said i had the waking crank so i was sending him everything with that it just wasn't it just wasn't ready for mold molding you know but i was sending him the, the my sketches and and the actual just bare bait itself and this and that so he was preparing for that bait exactly and um out of kind of nowhere I told him I'm like man I'm just not feeling this waking crank as much but I've been working on this rat and um if it, you know if it's not too much of an issue for you I'd like to switch what I got going over to this rat and I started sending him um you know the basic rat that I had and I think he he had kind of seen the potential in it like he seen that it was something different um it was sized appropriate for a, for a large market. And, and he was with me. And even if um, it was a super shitty bait or something like that, Jake's the type of guy that I'll work with you and and be (laughs) honest and kind of, you know, I don't think he would have just led me astray, but um, I think he saw the potential and how unique the bait was.
0: Yeah. Jake is, um, I guess that I had him on the podcast and, Dude, his episode still gets listened to this day, and he was probably one of my first fifteen guys on. And Jake's the man, bro. He's a super sick guy. I love Jake. I, I I talk to him, like I said, a couple times a month, and he's a super super badass guy.
1: Yeah, he's the man. If you got a dream and a bait, Jake can take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you hit up Jake, um, and he. How long was the R and D for between him and you, like? did he have to tweak a lot of stuff and send you some test molds and everything or was it kind of one and done since you had the sketches and then you sent him the, the clay bait and everything.
1: It was, um, it was a good little while, man. And I think yeah. it's because of the shape of my bait in general, the way it had those contour contours down the back and, um, the way I was very adamant about having the notches in the ear different on both ears. I didn't want them, you know, mirroring each other and, and all that takes a lot of CAD work, so it, it was a it was a good while. Um, I want to say from from sending him the master to to getting some actual molds back was probably maybe four or five months, something like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe not quite that out. long. Maybe maybe I'm lying a little bit, but it was a, it was a <laughs> few months, you know, at least.
0: Yeah, that was kind of the timeline I had figured. So you get your mold um you start did i mean how did you start off at that point because um you you obviously you you were pretty deep into it like going with jake and and giving out giving out some testers and stuff did you pour one bait and did you or did you pour some baits and send them to your testers and say okay here try these out make sure they're exactly what we want or did you kind of test them and say yep this is this is exactly personally what i want and then did you kind of start building the hype and selling them then? Or how, how did it kind of go after you got those molds? So w-
1: what I did once I got the molds was I, I personally put a lot of time on the water. I live on, like I said, I think earlier on Bayou Bonfica, which um, is a pretty little prominent bayou um, in, in my town. But I have a boat launch in my backyard. So literally every day I was, I was fishing with this thing. And there was a couple little tweaks I had to make. Um, I mean, uh, Jake's a, a wizard and everything, but there's still differences. I mean, you're going from a basic rudimentary bait to something that's pristine. So even like your resin formula is going to be a, like a little bit sh- a shade off in these molds. And, and maybe your line tie is a little bit higher than you're traditionally used to. So it took a little bit of tweaking from there, but... Um, I just put a lot of time in with the rat.
0: Um, um, one question I have, real quick, since you mentioned the the line tie, because this is a question I've always had: Do the molds come with a spot that you can just set the line tie in, and then the resin pours around it, or do you screw, Do you tap out the holes and hand screw in all the eyelets to the bait?
1: Yeah, it'll um, it'll come. It'll come with the little areas out for you to put your line tie in, and oh, and that's you the,
0: the jig thing jig for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All, all that is is perfectly set for you, so you don't gotta screw in nothing. Um, you just add that to your mold before you pour, basically.
0: Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> the
1: only thing I have to reset once once my rat is done is that screw lock in the tail that's kind of an odd little section since it's directly in the center of the bait. It wasn't really, um, capable of molting it into the mold, but, um, but yeah, I set that once, once everything's done.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I figured that's what it was, but you know, I've never really asked anybody, like I've had guys on here that talk about Jake and then like I listen to the show or I listen to the recording when I'm editing it. I'm like, shit, like, I think I know the answer to this question, but it's a question I've never asked anybody. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And and that's the beauty of working with Jake. It it cuts out a lot of time doing that because you can imagine how much time it takes to per, I'm talking about down to the, you know, millimeter of drilling that perfect placement hole and then epoxying it in and then waiting for that epoxy to dry. Like it cuts out a lot of that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. And another question I have for you is, how much sanding does your bait require? Like, obviously, you probably have to have a bandsaw to cut off the pore spout. And then, I mean, is there a lot of sanding? Or can you get away with kind of not touching it up as much since it's a topwater wake bait and it's not necessarily affecting the swim? If it's like on the head of it that never sees the bottom of the water or underneath the water, I should say. Oh,
1: my God, bro. So much sanding. <laughs> so oh, really? Really? much sanding. Really? Yeah, <laughs> so much sanding. That, that's probably the lengthiest process that i go through with this rat is sanding um in the way my bait contours on the back not only on the head section but the the, the tail section the bait that it contours in so it makes like these little ditches on both sides so that parting line that you get from the mold um it's not like I could just run a piece of sandpaper across it like you would, um, you know, a fish shaped bait or a glide bait. Like I have to get in that little ditch and sand that uh, parting line away. And I'm a real particular person with that. I want these baits to look as, as perfect and as pristine as possible. So I really spend a lot of time um, getting that parting line sanded away perfectly and, and trying to make it just as appealing. Uh, to the eye as possible and not only sanding that part of line but just sanding the entire bait in general to prep it for paint um it takes it takes the the base coat a lot better once you got a, a, a you know generally rough surface as a perfectly yeah. smooth one
0: yeah i was about to say for anybody who who spray paints shit and wonders why the paint just falls off you got to scuff up your your surface that's yeah. like a- I, not necessarily saying like I'm super good at like spray painting shit, but my dad was a painter and he, he did some stuff that required using a paint gun, like on semi trailers and stuff. And so I, I have a very extensive knowledge of painting shit. And so like whenever I have the opportunity to spray paint shit, I do it. And people are always like, Oh my gosh, why does that look so good? And it's like, well, cause I know, know what to do kind of cause you, cause people just get willy nilly with paint and fucking just falls off <laughs> a week later. Yeah. That-
1: that was a that was a, a another learning curve for me. I, I wasn't I wasn't um, familiar with that whole process when I first started.
0: Um, yeah, that was that was going to be what I touched on next. So you had kind of talked about woodworking and digital art and stuff. So you you necessarily didn't really have much experience with paint, let alone with probably airbrush painting. I'm sure.
1: So so not airbrushing, but I was I I'd been in um, I was big into acrylic painting in general for for quite some years that's what i did so I, I was familiar with painting and um color theory and and the general idea of painting um just now with the airbrush i was i was very green with the airbrush
0: yeah so i guess that's kind of the next thing i want to talk about is your, your stuff looks really good now is that what it looked like beforehand? Like were you practicing painting while Jake was building building this uh like building your molds? Like did you take all your your shitty uh ratio baits and just kind of start laying paint down and making it look good or was it something that you kind of didn't really realize you needed to practice until you got the mold 100% and everything? Yeah, so
1: um it's funny you bring that up. Uh, before I got the masters back and when I was sending um you know baits out to be tested to these guys they were all painted with rattle can so at first i kind of thought maybe that was the artistic style i was going to go with was was painting baits with rattle can kind of you know somewhat similar to what toxic does um but once i painted a few with airbrush and i see how detailed i can get and and how you know how much further i could take it um it was a no-brainer. I-, I love the airbrush.
0: Yeah, dude, it's like, like seeing guys go, like especially when people are super, like I don't know the right word, but when they post, like when they first started doing shit, like Kyle from Throwback. If you look at his first stuff and you look at it now, and it's only been like a year, it's like holy shit! Like it just goes to show you how long it takes to not necessarily master, but get very comfortable. With the whole building process, and then to get super comfortable with it, to where you're trying new shit, like you do a couple paint schemes, paint schemes every drop. Like it's so crazy to watch a guy go from looking like it's a finger painting to to a a really good looking airbrush painting.
1: Yeah, shout out to Kyle, man. He um he was one of the few people that I genuinely hit up when I was having with something whether it was a, a particular little stuff that was just like frustrating the shit out of me and one time um I hit up Kyle and I kind of told him um you know who I was and, and I respected the shit out of him but I, I asked him if he didn't mind would he, would he share some knowledge on this particular stuff and um he went above and beyond kind of helping me out so ever since then Kyle and I have, have um had some uh, great respect for each other. I, I like all a lot.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kyle. He, what what he's doing over there at throwback is super cool, but yeah, man, awesome. he's killing it. Yeah, dude. I, I enjoy watching, watching his whole process because he, he's doing it. He's doing something different, dude. It's, it's something like nobody else has done in the, in the swim bait game.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, okay. So, so you figure out your painting and everything, were you were you sending out those first baits that weren't necessarily like crazy good paint were you selling those and then were you selling them cheaper than you are now were you kind of like like oh god like i I, was there a point in time where you're like i just want people to have my baits and catch fish so not necessarily i have content to post but so like we talked about earlier i can grow organically like they can they can tag me in pictures and and i get two or three followers from their thousand followers was it that sort of thing or was it kind of like okay like My bait's good. I'm going to start selling them at what I think it's fair for, for everybody.
1: Yeah. So, so one thing I was adamant about when I did decide to start selling was to, to price them accordingly. I was very aware that I was new to this. I didn't, you know, I wasn't worthy of, of hype, um, price, price range, you know? So I, I wanted to price these, um, properly that 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 appeal to a lot of people and you, you know um that people respect it so i, I think I, I don't know I, I think they're priced correctly I, I really have no idea but i wanted to make sure they weren't they weren't out of out of range you know some i see some people that have brand new baits that are priced them at you know high 200s and it just doesn't <laughs> make sense to me that i don't know it's just i don't know anyways no, um, dude,
0: you don't need to say it. I've talked about it with other guys. I'm everybody. Everybody knows exactly what you're, what you're thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, even if it was a little, you know, low to what I thought it should be worth, uh, I just I wanted it to be at a respectable price point, and then grow from there as the as the brand grew and and you know the fish catches grew, then we could bring it up a notch. But I was more adamant about. Uh, building a reputable brand and a reputable bait than I was about making money. Um even to this day it wasn't just about making money. And and one of the things I did to kind of start growing the brand was every time I had um anybody that was anybody in the in the community, any of the bigger names that would DM me and show interest in the bait and ask me, you know, hey man, if you get an extra one, let me know. I'll buy it off of you. I, I would, without question, send them one just out of respect and and to have that um, authenticity behind the bait. Um, and I've got a lot of prominent guys in, in Instagram and, and the universe that that have my baits and have fish catches on them. And and I just I wanted to grow it that way as opposed to just trying to to make a dollar off of it.
0: Yeah, dude, for sure. There's there's something to be said of you. Not necessarily, not not saying you, but for somebody to go out of their way and make the experience kind of over the top for somebody. Because I'll tell you, if you do that for somebody, they're gonna they're gonna come back and they're gonna they're not gonna hesitate to buy from you again. Like if you have super good customer service or you take care of them, like like if you get a message like, "Hey, dude, i I bounced my I bounced my rad off of a dock. Like, can I have another bill or or could you fix it for me?" And if you like little stuff like that. For people who don't know, dude, it adds up so much. Like it's it's so crazy.
1: Yeah, and and it shows these these prominent guys that you're genuine, and and word of mouth for a new builder is is everything. You get a couple of people talking about you know a, a subpar bait, you know that's overpriced, and the guy's an asshole. It's not going to last long, and and that's not my character to begin with. But I, I was adamant about about getting these baits to, to these guys that were interested. I was honored for, for these guys to even ask for it, you know, much less like tell them to whip out their wallet. Like I would be much more (laughs) um, honored to just get them one and see, see a fish on it. You know, that was kind of my mentality to start with. And I I think that's why we've had some
0: success. Yeah, dude, for sure. If, if you set somebody up nicely, they're gonna, they're gonna come back and they're going to support you a hundred percent. Like for sure. I've had, I've had some guys who, who kind of who live far away and and they shoot me messages like hey dude just wondering if you if you sent out the sticker yet and I'm like yeah like if you don't get it tomorrow like maybe it's lost in the mail I'll send you another one they're like okay cool and then I send them one and then a day later they got the original one and they're like oh I'll send you it back I'm like no dude like why don't worry about it like just keep it it's a cool. sticker I don't care and it's dude even a it sticker long like, yeah something as little as that they're like dude no come on like I'll buy another one I'm like no dude it's it's a five dollar. It's a five seven dollar sticker. Like it literally, it it's it's not that big of a deal. Like just take it. I don't care. Have an extra one. I don't care. And like yeah, even little shit like that. Yeah, little shit like that. They're like, oh dude, I appreciate it so much. It's like, dude, of course. Like I once you show that you're not out there just to collect money, it it puts people in such a different mood, and, and they respect yeah. you so much for it. It's crazy.
1: For sure, the 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 money and in the fame, everybody wants to be that that hype, you know, and, and I'll pull people that, that give it, give it a try. Um, you know, but it's not for everybody. That's for sure. It, it's a long game, not, not a short, not a short game.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, kind of wrapping it up a little bit here. What, what kind of, well, okay. We'll go over your bait. So you make the rat, yep. you make, you make the, is it's a crank down, right? The smaller crank down.
1: It's a crank down, yep. Um I call it the Jordan Crank. It's a, a two piece crankdown. There was the original Jordan Crank and then um in the past, I don't know, handful of months, um I've got the the refined version of the Jordan Crank and I set it up a little different. Um that's one I kinda regret putting the, the first baits out immediately because it's changed so much since then. And, um, it's honestly changed into a little fish catcher, but I just, I learned a lot through throughout the, the months about the Jordan crank and seeing other people fishing it. And I kind of changed it accordingly. So if you ever see original one floating around and then you see the one now with the, with the sea on the tail, they're, um, they're completely different baits. So yeah, the Jordan crank.
0: Yeah, I know carlton's been killing it with that little thing i've been seeing him post up some pictures of fish with it
1: yeah he's he's the bro and and he has one of my original jordan cranks and um and he's got quite a few of the newer ones the newer ones um they're more of a slow rise as compared to like a quick rise like a balsa crank or something like that would yeah, be, yeah these are more of a you can pause it and it'll kinda of more or less suspend Spend. Uh, yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that's um between that and the joints a little wider so it's got kind of a harder kick back and forth as the swim. And um the original one went a little deeper. It had a longer bill. It, it would hit um seven, eight, nine foot oh, even. Wow. And this one yeah, this one's more of that traditional coffin bill. Um wide action um in the three to four to five foot range so okay.
0: yeah that's what I, I was gonna that was gonna be the next question was how deep does the new jordan swim and i was gonna say three foot but dude when when you said eight foot i i not gonna lie i shit myself i'm like holy shit that's a yeah like a the, DT8, the original, <laughs> exactly the original
1: one went went pretty deep even um even fishing it on you know Uh, 20 pound copoly or or monofilament it would still get pretty deep but that was one thing i wanted to change about this one was to get it more in that traditional square bill range maybe a little bit deeper um but yeah that, that four to six foot range you know five foot range
0: yeah how long was it after you got really comfortable um making pouring and selling the rats that the Jordan came into play and that you sent it over to Jake to, to get refined and looking good and sexy. Like,
1: so the, the Jordan came about, I've cranking has been my passion for quite some while. Everybody local here that knows me knows me for, for cranking. But, um, it came about because my master of the rat was actually being done at, at um, at row with Jake. So I was kind of in limbo waiting for it to come back. So, I, I decided uh, just for personal use to to start working on the crankbait.
0: Okay. So, okay. So, you have the crankbait, you have the rat. What's yep. kind of your, what's, what's your kind of go to setup for those two baits for anybody who has your stuff and is kind of unsure what pound line or what gear ratio reel and stuff to fish them on?
1: Sure. Um, so, um, I'm a, um, I'm a F5 fan. Both both of my baits I fish on the Ghost Code. Um and I, I go traditionally a little bit heavier than I think most people would go. Um I have a, a couple of beach, but my rat I fish on that the, the 8 um heavy ghost code. And the uh, the Jordan Crank I fish on the I think it's the 710 medium heavy. And traditionally it's a it's a little overkill for this bait, but I'm a I'm a power fisherman at heart. I like ripping the rat over hyacinth patches and um a lot of our waterways here are um brackish water, so all our docks and pylons have barnacles on it and all that type of good stuff. So it's more or less kind of power handling those fish out of those situations. Um, so I tend to go a little heavier. Um but yeah, ghost code on both. Um and I'll throw my rat on both sides as well, the the medium, heavy, and the and the heavy. But um and my, my reels are um kind of a two-part answer. I have um some Revo Toro Beasts and some regular Revo Beasts. And I love those reels, man. They're extra buttery. Um, that's traditionally what I throw them on day in and day out. But when I was first getting into, to throwing larger baits and, and deep cranking plugs even, um, and this might sound corny as well, but I, I got into the, and I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but I got into the, the passive on and it's like a, a really cheap, I don't know if you're familiar with it, like a hundred dollar yeah. reel, yep. but man, I'm telling you like no cap, this reel is legit. So if you're a, a, a new fisherman or a young fisherman and you got your eye on a four or $500 reel, like, by all means, go treat yourself. But if you want four of those reels for the price of that one that are, like, you know, really good handling reels, it's hard to beat those. And that's kind of um. I don't fish with them much anymore because I have these Revos, but anyways, yeah, the Allojaz is is a good option for sure. They're they're a smaller 300-size reel, and and they handle really well.
0: Damn, yeah. Uh, I've never used them personally, but I know some guys who do, and they don't, I mean, there's a stereotype, obviously, that say they're not great, but I mean, if it works, dude, it works. Like. I I can I can I can hammer a screw into a wall all day like it doesn't matter to me I don't care (laughs) yeah as
1: a matter of fact I told I told my wife earlier that um that I was going to bring those reels up and I might catch some flack for it like this you know this dude's fishing with this little like dollar general (laughs) reels but I'm just I'm trying to be honest man that they're decent reels for the price and I've got some really high-end reels that that I love but um but yeah, the, it's a good reel for the price, and, and there's something about that click over with with the Allegos that's really sexy. I don't know if you're familiar with like uh, when you click over the 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 uh, spool, and it's got that like real hard thump to it. It's like a real yeah, hard thump yeah. to it. I don't know, Something about it I like.
0: Um. Oh, next question is: is could somebody get away like some of the one of some of the new listeners here that? That are into swim bait fishing, but maybe they're fishing them on like their jig rods and stuff. Could they get away fishing the Jordan on kind of their, shit, I don't even know, like their glass crankbait rod and, and Corrado 200? Is that feasible for like 15 pound line? Like, could they buy a bait and not necessarily need a dedicated swim bait setup specifically for this smaller crank down? Absolutely.
1: I wouldn't necessarily suggest the the glass cranking rod, but, but most people that have a general setup have a heavy rod for frogging or something speak. like that. Yeah. Absolutely, that would that would work perfect. I like to oversize the length and the and the size That would just just so I can manhandle these fish out of certain situations. But yeah, frogging rod or something like that um, would probably work just fine they both ride under two ounces. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a substantial oh. bait by any means.
0: Yeah. Um, Shane, I'm trying to think of another question I had for you as far as, like, the baits go. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. One thing uh, I kind of want to close it down with because it can kind of get very sentimental is, is this your full-time gig? And then was it hard to, to kind of start Chocolate Baits, like, uh, last builder obviously jake Stillwell from dtex. he got super into it and was it kind of the same boat as you as far as like you kind of had to to budget to to start chocolate baits
1: yeah so obviously i i was really mindful when i started doing this i knew i could go um i could go too much too fast and and and, and you know burn through a lot of money that didn't need to be but um, a quick, quick little uh, insight into into my background. My, my dad had um, an AC business growing up, so uh, I worked in that AC business my entire life. Um, up until about five years ago, my dad retired, and, and I took over the AC business. So I was, I was always um, through my later adult years somewhat. Financially stable, so it allowed me to start this business and and building these baits um out of just straight you know love for it as opposed to trying to um super budget it and make it a, a money thing I, I did it out of out of you know passion
0: for it yeah it's um like like I mean we touched on it a little bit earlier, like it takes. Takes some serious money to to get a company going like it's it's no cheap thing to get going it's not like starting a podcast where you need a $30 microphone in a computer like you have to dedicate some some funding to it to to I'm not going to say get legit but to have a good setup and to to do it safely and to do it effectively like you it takes some money up front to get it done for sure
1: Absolutely, and it, and it takes somebody that that's genuine and wants to do it for the long run. Because even to to try to do it, um, like I did, and, and, and somewhat quick, this one bait was still over a year process, and, and the whole time is is you know even if it's not a large amount of money at a time, it still was was very, um, it, it still costs a lot, you know, and it's very time consuming. So, I guess my point is that, a new builder wants to get into it and wants to truly do it. Um, you got to be in it uh, for the long run and, and to be genuinely excited about building these baits.
0: Yeah. It, uh, it takes, it takes a special person to not only start it, but to stick with it. Like it, there's it's trial and hardships. And um, recently there's, there's a lot of guys who, who are posting up baits for sale, um, whether they be, uh, how do I wanna say this? Whether they be priced accordingly to to their, um, to how, what the bait looks like and how long they've been doing it for is, doesn't really matter. But there's people, there's a lot of people doing it and you gotta think how many of those people are gonna be doing it in the next two or three years? Like how many are gonna make it past, well, how you and I talked about like the hardships of finding out the ratio and just, literally more or less pouring resin and micro balloons down the drain to to figure out their their custom formula for these baits and then um getting molds and stuff if that's something they choose to do like it it takes some time to 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 get up and go honestly it's it's so crazy
1: for sure for sure and and that's just part of, of any industry you know it's all right if we got a, a flood of new builders because a, a lot of them won't last, and that's okay. I hope a lot of them do, because I, I like supporting other builders. I've, I've become close with, with quite a few of them. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's part of the industry. If, if you're not fully in it and in it for the passion, not, you know, not just the money,, um, then, then it'll work out. But if not, you know, you'll, you know it'll fall out like everything else
0: yeah dude for sure um closing it up how do your bait drops work uh what's your instagram handle and then do you have a youtube channel or anything that anybody can check out
1: yeah so um i just have a personal youtube of of some tournament fishing and tournament catches um it's jay norris (laughs) fishing nothing affiliated with the with the swim baits (laughs) just personal stuff but my instagram is is at chocolate underscore swim baits um i did a few drops originally just because um that was a traditional way to, to release baits was, was dropping on the website and I wasn't a huge fan of it. I got a lot of flack from from people that didn't get baits and um my first drop I did, it didn't send out the the initial email to let you know if it if it went through. So it was like a, it was a mess. Oh. But um But one of the things I enjoyed so much about building these baits was doing custom colors and and color schemes and stuff like that. So lately what I've been doing is is opening up a list. And um, I'm currently working off of a a closed list. Uh, I I made too big. I shouldn't have let it get that big. But anyways, I'm about (laughs) three quarters of the way through it. And as soon as it's open, um, as soon as it's done, I'll reopen the list on Instagram. All you can do is kind of follow along. I'll, I'll make a post and a story and this and that about it, and you'll know when the, when the list is open and, and you can get in. I don't charge any money up front. Um, I'll get you money when the bait's ready to ship. Um, oh, yeah, but dude. the Jordan crank, the, the new Jordan Crank hasn't officially been released, so uh, I think I might do a, a traditional website drop of that one. It's a little bit easier for me to build that guy and to, to get them done. So I, right. I think I can do a more substantial drop of that one and not have so many people upset. But yeah. Just I all, all you gotta do is is stay tuned on Instagram. It kind of feeds um, you know, any kind of insight you need on, on how to get a bait.
0: Oh yeah, dude. Um are you are you gonna be able to make it for the gathering? Uh oh well shit, when people listen to this it'll be fucking Two days from now. So you should yeah. be able to make it for anybody who doesn't and know. <laughs> as,
1: as dead set as I was going this year, um, I have a, a six-month-old, or he might be seven now. I, I have a, a new little baby <laughs> here. I got a four-year-old here. It just wasn't practical for me this year. Right. But mm-hmm. next year,
0: 100%. Yeah, did uh, did you send any baits to Wayne for the the raffle by chance? I
1: didn't. I, th- I think I might still. I was talking to Wayne the other day. Um, I was going to send some baits up there, and I was talking to Wayne about it. And I-, I think I might at least try to get some in for the raffle or something like that. I, I-, I always love kind of donating or giving some baits away. I do it every once in a while on Universe, or uh, I'll do some random ones on Instagram. But uh, I think I might send some for the raffle at least.
0: Oh, yeah, dude. Tape them to Carlton and make them fly with them. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Um, one last question I have for you, just to kind of, because it, it means a lot to me when I ask this question. Are you surprised with how far chocolate has come from where you started a year and a half, two years ago?
1: Absolutely, man. i I knew the I knew the proper formula in terms of um uh, making a, a cool actual catching and pricing it right and politicking with people that are promenading the sport and, and doing that whole formula correctly was very important to me but um, as small as we still are I'm, I'm very blessed and honored to have the the following we do and the in, the, in the small brand awareness that we have it, it means a lot to me
0: oh yeah dude um, like I said, I want to thank you for coming on. I uh, hit you up probably about this time last week, and we kind of hatched out a time that worked, and, and we were able to to set up a time and uh, just not, not necessarily get it over with. That's the wrong term, but we were able to hop on and, and get one recorded sooner rather than later, which is awesome. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on so much. And Sure.
1: I was super nervous, so uh, I hope I didn't talk too long or, or go on
0: about something that wasn't even relevant. But I, I tried my best for you. No, no, you're good, man. Was it was it easier than uh, than you were kind of setting yourself up for? It, it was because
1: it's it's natural for me to talk about these things. It's just, yeah, you know, subconsciously, you know, you're like talking to, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a little nerve
0: wracking, but I got you know,
1: it was. Oh yeah, I, I enjoyed like it. I said.
0: Yeah, like I said, to get used to it, it's kind of just like a phone call. And uh I'm sure. sure sure you voicing your emotions previous to uh to getting on here will help help some of the other guys I've hit up and uh not necessarily nervous, but they're unsure about coming on, whether they have a small following or they're kinda of uncomfortable with talking. I think uh I think this will go a long way with some of those guys.
1: Good. That's good. That's good to hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh like I said, I want to thank Jared for coming on. Like I said, uh I'll leave all his uh his Instagram pages, his chocolate, and then I'll do the YouTube channel in the description below for you guys who don't already follow him. And if you guys uh, maybe maybe forget to follow him, I'll repost his story when he does open up the drop for the rats. Perfect. Uh, and like I said, if you guys don't follow me already on uh, on, you- or on YouTube, uh, well, yeah, YouTube too, but on Instagram, it's tails underscore podcast, so make sure you guys follow me if you don't already. And then youtube i think it's just scales and tails which is probably pretty hard to find because there's like nothing on there but if you guys follow me on both of those i'd be greatly appreciated as always make sure you guys give the show a five-star rating if you haven't already on your listening platform and i say listening platform and i'm like 90 percent sure spotify is the only one that you can rate it on maybe apple Podcasts too but i know amazon you can't because i tried to look at that today but um anyway i want to thank jared for coming on and like i said uh you guys make sure to watch his page and watch his stories to, to keep in the loop on the next drop of rats. If you guys are wanting one of his baits and are unsure how to get it, that's how you got to do it. You got to be first in line. But like I said, I want to thank Jared for coming on and donating donating almost two hours of his time to, to come ramble on with me. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And, uh, this is episode three. Yeah. This is episode three of bass and buzz. So like I said, hopefully you guys enjoy this little format I'm doing. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's kinda it kinda helps guys, not necessarily just Jared but some other guys I've had on kind of uh get get some liquid courage going and, and it really eases the conversation I feel like later in the episode. I don't know about you, but I've had some guys say that before that the shows kind of sound more free free flowing later as absolutely these episodes go on.
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. But like I said, I wanna thank every thank everybody for listening. I wanna thank Jared for coming on and I hope you guys have a super great day. And for those guys who are going to be either listening to this driving to the gathering or, or waiting in line already at the gathering. Make sure you guys stop at Scales and Tails Boost, say what's up. And uh, if you guys want to come on and talk on the episode or talk while I'm there, just let me know and we can, we can record an episode with you guys. But thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks, guys.